0: Welcome to All The Things, a podcast for moms seeking an inspired life. Hi, I'm your host, Lisa Chin. I'm a writer and a coach, and my most passionate truth is that the world needs the real you. That's why I created this podcast, to discover all the things that make us who we are, because the better we understand ourselves, the more good we can do in the world. So let's do that together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode with Dr. Hannah Gardner. I am so excited to have her on. Before I get started, I wanted to first acknowledge that I am speaking and podcasting from the traditional and unceded territories of the Nipmuc and Massachusetts people. And Hannah and I actually share this land that um, that we're on. And I share land acknowledgement before every episode. I think it's important to acknowledge where we are. That. Um today's episode we talk a lot about like toxicity and, and kind of modern life and what what that entails and I think that it's really important um to remember that it wasn't always this way, that there are ways of honoring um our bodies and the earth. And I think that we have a lot to learn from the people who came before us who've taken care of this land um in a very honorable way. Oh, I so I've <laughs> thank okay. you. Um, And Hannah, um, I'm going to just give a quick intro so that the the listener can get to know you a little bit, and then we'll jump right in. Um, Dr. Hannah Gardner, she's an epidemiologist and a medical school professor, as well as a healthy home consultant. She helps families reduce their exposure to environmental toxins by making easy, inexpensive, and gradual changes to their living environments. Her goal is to help people live an environmentally healthier lifestyle without stress. Hannah, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited for this. Um, I have been part of your Facebook group. I don't even know now, probably since I've moved to to Medfield, so about four years. And it's kind of like my go-to. You know, I really appreciate your approach and how you moderate that group. And I know there's other um, admins as well. Um and before we you know get started this season is about unlearning and i actually really would love your take on what unlearning is before we dive into like who you are what you're doing and um and all the really important things i want you to share
1: yeah so that's a that's a really interesting question about sort of what unlearning is i mean there's so much that we that we learn um mistakenly incorrectly throughout our lives that then as adults we have to unlearn or reframe how we think about it um and you know some of those are um some of those have been intentional and unintentional things that we learned throughout our lives um and a lot of them relate to our environment and making our environment healthier as adults um, than then we experienced it as children, as adolescents, as young adults, um, and creating healthier environments for our own children, um, and sort of unlearning on a society uh, measure. Um, and when I think about like environmental health and unlearning, um, I, I really think about sort of a lot of these notions that maybe we weren't explicitly taught, but somehow most of us um, developed assumptions along the way about how, about the products in our environment and the way um, companies operate in our country and in other countries. And this assumption um, that that there are environmentally healthy ethical practices. Um, And that if we go into a pharmacy or into a supermarket, that the products on the shelves are safe and healthy and that the people who made those products were um, were not doing so in a way that violated... Um, their rights to a safe and healthy um, environment as as employees as <laughs> as people who grow um, and manufacture food and products um, just sort of this this false notion um, that what we are able to avoid or sorry what we are able to purchase um, won't really have significant negative impacts on our own health, on the health of our environment, and on all the people in our community um, who we rely on to, um, to make and sell those products.
0: I mean, there's so many different things I want to talk about because health and wellness is such a passion of mine. And growing up, it wasn't the case, right? Right now, the information that's out there and the way the companies are operating are very different. Some some of them are very different than when, when you and I were growing up. When did you realize that this was actually the case?
1: It's a good question. So I... Um... I have a doctorate in epidemiology, which is a field of public health um, from Harvard. So I went to the, attended school at the Harvard Public, at Harvard School of Public Health for four years. I graduated in 2007. Um, And that, I would say, it was probably there and maybe in a few years leading up to going to graduate school that I started really thinking about um, more about environmental toxins, environmental health, and how our exposures um, really impact our, our health. Um, but it wasn't really until after I graduated um, and became pregnant and started, you know, when you become pregnant, there, there's all sorts of new products that you need to, um, to buy for a child, things that you don't normally have in your, in your home. Um, and, um, there's a, there, there is a lot of talk about buying products that are safe and healthy. Although those terms aren't typically used in relation to environmental health, but there's sort of this notion that you need to buy safe products for, for children. Um, and, um, it was right. It was around the time when I was pregnant that I was actually working on publishing my, um, my doctoral dissertation papers, which looked at um, how um, exposures during the prenatal period um, in utero can have really long lasting impacts on health, you know, for that might not be even realized until someone is in their seventies or eighties or nineties. So I, I, My whole dissertation was focused on the fact that these really early life exposures can impact our health for a really long time. And so I had, I was thinking a lot about sort of publishing this work and framing it um, and talking to the public about it and thinking about just sort of how much more sensitive Babies and children are to the products and uh, that they use to their environment. So I was, so I was had that in the back of my head as I was trying um, to create a healthy home for you know for my my future children. And that's when I really, really started thinking about it, (laughs) because it's one thing to learn about in the classroom. um, And it's another to really think about it for, you know, for your own children um, and wanting to do what what is best for them Um, and. I think there's this inclination in all of us that we want to do it perfectly for our children in a way that we might not sort of have for ourselves so so my interest was really really heightened um, you know preparing to become a mother and then in them becoming a mother um, and and so while I started thinking about these topics before graduate school, preparing, thinking about what I wanted to study in graduate school. And then while I was in graduate school, in, in classes like environmental health and cancer prevention, um, and in really all of my substantive epidemiology classes, we talked about how important the, our environmental exposures are. Um, but it, it wasn't really until I became a mother that I really, <laughs> really started thinking about it.
0: I think that pregnancy has such a i mean i think there's so many changes within us right um i think that it really is a trigger for making changes and and really thinking about someone else aside yourself and that being the actual reason to make change because oftentimes we we don't do things for ourselves and you mentioned that you know as a mother specifically that, you know, you want to do things perfectly. And what I really appreciate about our interactions that I've witnessed also in your group is that you don't, you don't preach perfection, which I think a lot of people in this space get really mired down on that. You, you know, it's like you do it this way or else you're not doing it at all. Cause it's not worth it. And I'd love for you to share kind of how you, you know, if someone were to come to you and said, I'm really, you know, stuck on doing this and I really want to do it. And then how do you evaluate and what are the things that you think about to share with them? Like, Hey, it's, you're fine, you know, doing this instead of this or whatever it may be.
1: Yeah. So I have a lot of thoughts on this. So I, you know, I'm going to be totally honest. A lot of the times I talk about preaching, letting go of perfection for my own benefit as much as for other people's. It's like, I need to speak that into being for myself because I'm not going to claim that I'm really any different from all, uh, from all my clients, all my followers who want to do everything perfectly. Um, And from a lot of us, it's budget, you know, constraints that are keeping us from doing it perfectly. And also just sort of like real life. Um, But I, I, It's so much easier to tell other, people to sort of have perspective for other people, to sort of see that these little things are not really going to to harm their children (laughs) realistically. It's so much easier to um, be grounded in reality and have sort of some scientific perspective when it's not your own children, when it's someone else's children. And so what I do for others is what I have, you know, I try to do for myself. And I have other people in my life who help me sort of have that same, that same kind of perspective. Um, And just sort of having the opportunity to sort of speak about letting go of perfection and um, really trying to be grounded in evidence-based science helps me as much as it helps my my clients, um, first of all. Second of all, I've been a mother for 13 years. um, And my my perspective um, and my reality has changed Um, because, you know, when you've been a mother for like two months, when you see like, oh, I've been using, you know, some product for, you know, for two weeks that I I didn't realize it was not ideal. And I've been using it for two weeks. When you have a two month old, you know, that's, that's (laughs) a quarter of your child's life. It feels like so long. It feels like, oh, my gosh, my almost my child's whole life. I've been using this this product. But then when you have a 13 year old, you see you look back and you're like that two weeks was nothing. It was nothing. Um, So you I think you have more perspective as your children get older and as your children get to the age where you have so much less control over. Over their exposures and their life, you know, when you have a baby or a toddler, for a lot of us, we have a lot of control over, you know, everything that goes in and on and around their bodies. That and that feels very overwhelming, I think, um, because. You know, your child is mostly at home, um, either with you or where, where other caretakers that you choose or in a school setting that you choose. And you really have a have a lot of control. They're not choosing their own outfits. They're not choosing, you know, what boots to eat. But then you have a 13-year-old who goes off with their, you know, with their friends after school and goes shopping in this place and that place. And that's good for them and healthy for them. You realize um you know, that, that you can, that you can let go of some control, you know, with those younger ages and they will still be okay (laughs) because you're, you're, you become more used to not being in control of everything. So I have a little bit more, I mean, it's not like I'm like a, you know, seasoned mom of, of, (laughs) of decades or anything, but I do try to offer some, retrospective wisdom to the new parents who are my clients and who are my followers as the, you know, as the mother of, um, teens and tweens who have, who, you know, have more perspective on, um, what it's like to be a mother with much less feeling Mm -hmm. of control. Um, and, um, And then the, the, you know, the other piece of I I really try to preach a lack of perfection, um, because that's what the science shows, (laughs) you know, it's like we don't need to do this all perfectly, we don't need, our bodies are equipped um, to detoxify, to handle, to thrive, um, when exposed to some environmental toxins. The challenge is that the amount that most of us are exposed to in our daily lives um, in the United States and in other countries is more than, um, than what is truly health protective, um, that, that we are exposed to too much environmental toxins to really um, uh, to really be healthy, and so we all have to reduce our exposure to protect our health, to promote health, um, to prevent disease, and but we don't have to do it perfectly. Um, and really, what the the what people ask me a lot is, what should I prioritize? Like, where what where should my focus be? Um, and there is not a really a lot of good science that, that, that answers that question. There's no science that I've ever seen that answers that question. Um, so, you know, I think we, we have to sort of go with our intuition, but also, um, and with the science that's available, we do want to focus on, um, on environmental threats that have strong evidence-based um, literature supporting them, like things like like flame retardants, per and alkyl substances, which which are known as PFAS, um, and um, other hormone disrupting compounds like phthalates, heavy metals, air pollution. Um, but um, you know, so we we want to focus on on real environmental threat um, rather than just sort of hypothesized ones, but. Um but while doing that, there's no real strong evidence that we should be focusing on makeup more than toys or you know makeup more than um more than cleaning products or the opposite. But what I tell people is really focus on the focus on the changes that you can make in your health and sorry, in your environment and in your, your lifestyle um, that feel important to you, um, that you feel like that in your gut, you feel like this is going to make, this is going to make a difference. Um, because that will feel most satisfying and that will be most likely to be kept up to continued. Um, and I tell people to focus on the changes that are easy for them. And for some people changing up their makeup routine feels, um, feels really scary. You know, they they're used to certain makeup to um, to present themselves to the world in a way that makes them feel confident and happy. And so I say, don't don't focus on that. You know, focus on the things that you're like, oh, yeah, that's easy to change. Focus on the things that are really inexpensive to change. Um, You know, the things that you're that you have on your shopping list, um, you know, every week or every month. Um, because those things you're going to be changing up anyway, so <laughs> so um, you know that you might as well make a change right away. Um, and I mostly focus on what what changes can you make that are not going to feel stressful and burdensome to you. So think about you know think about make those changes. And I tell people to focus on. Um, the acute effects. So if they feel like there are certain exposures that they have, whether it's like a mascara or or a certain cleaning product that that is either irritating in some way or making them feel sick, I'm like, prioritize that. Don't think about the long-term health effects. Prioritize strategizing what will relieve you of any sort of acute immediate um, uh, symptoms that you might be feeling. Um, and um, you know, I, there there is obviously a lot of science to show that it's sort of what we ingest and what we inhale really really makes a big difference. So I do focus on on those sort of things, and I and I talk to people about prioritizing changes um, in their homes, in their environments that will have maximum impact on the most vulnerable people in their families. So um, whether it the a, um, someone is pregnant in their family or a newborn or a baby. Those are particularly sensitive people, Um, people who have underlying health conditions who who are older and frail. um, those are the people that you should focus on what they are being exposed to. Hmm. So some of those are, those are my like main strategies. When I, people, people want a list and you know what? I am here to help people make it easier. So like if you want me to give you a list of what to prioritize, if that is what is easier, I'm always happy to do it. Um, and but the the balance is providing people with. So much information that they feel like they have to change everything in their house rather than I just want to give people options and I really really stress I'll get going to tell you all sorts of things that. In an ideal world, you can change, but you don't have to change it all. If you came into my house, my house is not perfect. I haven't made all these changes, but I like to give people options because what might be easy for someone else to change might be more challenging um, in my house.
0: I love the idea or like the fact of the matter is we're balancing the science. We're balancing our lifestyles and also our mental health. And it's this very weird dance between all three of them and I do think that a lot of people do want that list right just make it easy for me and like and that's what you do as as that consultant who I have I have looked to your <laughs> to your um, advisement a couple of times the but it seems like ultimately the individual has to come to terms with like the lack of being able to do everything and yeah. that they won't be able to have this perfect home in this perfect environment. And it takes this knowing of these are the priorities I have. And like, these are the pointers that you're giving of how I can um, balance, you know, like my budget or my mental health or my family's mental health with the things that I'm, I want to do and want to have in the home. Yeah. that. Oh. One thing I really wanted to talk about was the, um, you know, the role that, you know, you said that mothers have this, like, very, like, hyper-awareness, right, especially with, with, during pregnancy, and I noticed that most of the people in the group, I would say, are mothers or would identify and, and possibly identify as women. What do you think about that? Like, why aren't more men and dads in the group? And why is this labor on
1: the mothers? This is the million dollar question. <laughs> um, I have a few male clients. Um, I, I have a few families who are clients where the father in the family um, is the main one to reach out to me. They stand out because they, in, in my past decade of doing this, I can think of maybe I can think of less than five families like that. The vast, vast, vast majority um, of families, it is a female or female presenting person um, who's reaching out to me, the, a mother. Um, and um, sometimes there's a father there to sort of listen in on um, on you know, consult, a lot of times women are hiring me to convince their husbands of things that they, they've already done the consult for their husband, but their husband and they really want their husband to get on board and they need to have someone with a PhD from Harvard to say exactly what they have already explained to their husband for their husband to be convinced. Um, so uh, that happens a lot. Um, I would love to know why why this is happening, why it is so predominantly women who are taking on this labor in families, um, who are so much more passionate and interested and committed, Um, to creating environmentally healthier homes for their families than men are. Um, And it's not not just me and my followers. It's not just that I somehow speak to women in a way that, you know, and I don't don't speak to men. Um, It's something that other people in my field echo as well. Um, Otherwise I would think like, I am not communicating this effectively, you know, to, to men. I really need to sort of think about how I communicate this, but it's not just me. It's, it's, um, it's everyone, you know, else sort of in this field who I talk to, or they're having the same experiences that, um, that women are taking on this burden. Um, And I wish I knew why, because um, it's it's creating a lot of stress in marriages. Um, you know, a lot of times I will go to people's homes and do consult and they will say, this was more of like a marriage therapy than a non-toxic living consult. <laughs> because, you know, like, and, and it's because I feel like I'm there sort of advocating the, the typical husband side and the wife's, the wife wants to want acknowledgement and recognition in the home that these issues are real and and this is of course a generalization i have plenty of clients who are not you know a traditional um, male female children household many many um clients but this is this is some a pattern that comes up a lot in those kinds of households that i am uh, that the um the husband wants me to um, to provide some sort of perspective and priority and like a letting go of perfectionism and so it's sort of like a dance that I'm that I'm there to help facilitate um, and um, this comes up you know so so much it's sh- it's a huge topic that needs to be addressed um, and um, it would be it would be great if there you know there were more sort of uh, family therapists or or couples counselors who are who are very knowledgeable about these things who can um, who can provide the, this context from a from a sort of different area of expertise. Um, but you know, it's also something that I see in my academic work um, because, like like you said, I'm an epidemiologist, I'm a medical school professor, um, and I do feel like there's a different way that. A lot of my female colleagues will talk about um, health prevention and risk factors than males. It's like you know, a lot of time, my, um, my male colleagues who who focus on environmental health, they have a they have a real academic relationship with the topic, whereas like when I talk to other females, uh, um you know, researchers, um, academics about these topics, we we so often veer into the, all right, so you know, now that we've sort of un, you know talked about the science, what are we doing in our homes? Like what do we like what how are we applying this to our children? Which are conversations that like we don't really have as much with, with male colleagues. Um so I think even sort of even among the experts, um you know, and there are plenty of experts um, in the environmental health field who, who are men. And I'm, and I'm making probably a real big generalization here that's really just sort of coming from my own perspective. Um, but there's more of sort of like a cerebral academic relationship with the topic that feels less personal than it does when I, when I talk to other um, females in, the, in this field.
0: Mm. That's so interesting because I do think that when you're talking, like, okay, I can see that because I can see that whatever we're we're thinking about or learning about out there, we're bringing back into the home. And again, generalization. Um, at least for me, like, that's what happens. Like, I I say, okay, this applies here. Where else does this apply? It doesn't get siloed into its own bucket. Like you said, like when you when you were doing your work and then when you became pregnant, you're like, okay, I learned all this information here. How does how do I bring it into my experience right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I think it's probably everyone would assume that someone like me, who studies environmental health, who who um, consults about environmental health, I would naturally take on that role, that labor in my family because it's my expertise. Like you know, it, um, <laughs> so that makes sense. But but my assumption is that in families where there's a father and a mother and the father has that expertise that a lot of that emotional burden for for um, um, sort of applying environmental health principles to the home still will fall on women, um, that that is just part of the real unbalanced emotional labor um, you know, trends in families these days. Um, and it's really important for it to change because, um, you know, I, I think it's really important for our children to see that, um, that all of their caregivers recognize how important um, environmental health is and how real environmental toxins are. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I love that we're talking about this because one other thing that I admire about the work that you're doing is that you also talk about social justice mm-hmm. in and in, inequities in the work that, in the group as a whole, just generally. Um, and I, we might have talked about this before, but in another conversation, but the intersection of what you do and that, like, can you share a bit about that? Because, those again are like two different worlds. And it's like, well, how does this
1: relate to this? Yeah. So uh, one thing I try to do is I try to tell people that, you know, my, my focus isn't really just on preventing and reducing exposure to environmental toxins. My, my ultimate goal is promoting health, protecting health, um, and social justice issues, um, inequalities, racial inequalities—all inequality. Those, um, those. Um, Really, really, really have a significant impact on health. Probably much more than you know, BPA and and plastics and heavy metals and you know air pollution um, that. Um, uh, that the discrimination and violence that marginalized populations experience every single day, that is so reducing and eliminating it is crucial to protecting um, public health far more important than, than the, uh, the topics that people really come to me for. Um, And, you know, a lot of people are like, stay in your own lane. You know, I come to you for environmental health. Why are you talking about, you know, trans rights and black lives matter and, you know, stay in your own. And I'm like, my goal is public health is health protection, health promotion. This is so important. It might not be important for you. But I'm not just talking to you. <laughs> I'm talking, uh, my goal is, you know, um, benefiting the entire community. Epide- for epidemiologists, the patient is the community that we are interested in um, preventing disease and improving health for the community. And that really involves um, identifying all of the types of violence and discrimination and um, inequalities um, and inequities that that different people face and how that, Im- that impacts their health in so many ways. Um, and so I, I, I really want to focus on that. And I, what I think a lot of people don't realize is that uh, you know, people are like, oh, you know, flame retardants don't discriminate. Well, yes, they do. You know, <laughs> they don't intentionally. Like I- air pollution, it actually does discriminate that um, that um, underprivileged um, populations that, um, and marginalized populations, minority populations, they are disproportionately exposed um, to so many environmental toxins. Um, and so the these these topics of environmental health um, and um, and disparities are are really, really intimately um, tied together. And there's so much focus from the National Institute of Health and from other um, you know governing health bodies that you know I try to get funding from They're, the focus is on um Um, on disparities in health and better understanding why um, black populations and Hispanic populations in particular um, have um, higher, um, higher incidences and prevalences of many different health conditions. And there are so many reasons why that is. Um, and sort of better understanding them and addressing them is that that's the main focus of my academic work um, is understanding, especially um, my, my academic work focuses a lot on racial and ethnic disparities in neuro- neurological health. So in vascular health, um, so things like stroke and dementia, uh, we have a far way to go in terms of protecting the population, but more importantly, or equally importantly, we want to really um, reduce gaps um, that are related to um, race and ethnicity. Um, And my academic work doesn't focus on environmental toxins right now in terms of um, disparities, but I have done some work on it, and my goal is to um, do more work on that in the future. Because I think that's, that's a huge part of why we're seeing um, disparities. And, um, uh, and racism is another huge, um, huge part of why we're seeing so many health disparities.
0: When I, when you're, I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, okay, there's like the impact, right? The impact of like the mental health and whatnot on, on the person directly. But as a community, I think about Flint and how if that was a upper middle class, you know, neighborhood, that would not be happening and how it is the underprivileged, marginalized folks who are facing these issues. And then they have a lack of ability to make change right? because they don't have the resources and all of that.
1: Yeah, exactly. They they don't have the resources uh, any kind of the financial resources, the time resources, um, the um, you know the, the, it, the public <laughs> sort of um, passion, you know, from from um, from legislators and um, scientists there, uh, and you know, there's different avenues for exposure too. Um, so you know, there. Um, like pesticide use on lawns um, you know might be more common in um, in very privileged populations but then there's other types of you know pesticide um, plants and stuff like that might be more common in um, underprivileged populations so there's different avenues of um of uh, exposures to and really different workplace um, exposures. And I think COVID sort of brought that out, and made more people sort of recognize um, the the workplace sacrifices um, that <laughs> that are fall disproportionately on, on marginalized populations.
0: It's so true. The, the COVID has really magnified so many of these issues. I mean, George Floyd's murder, yep. I don't think would have received the reception, not reception, but the, um, the response that it did, unless we were all stuck at home staring at our screens, it, Right. It, like in so many little ways that it has really changed kind of the yeah. the landscape.
1: Yeah. Right. Um, you know, and social media itself, like there's all these, new ways that people are learning about these topics and getting this information. Um, and I mean I think that's a great thing about social media is we are we are often more aware of the hardships um that that are happening in this world that might not be impacting us directly. It's
0: mm-hmm. wonderful. Going back to <laughs> I really did want to talk about the work that you're doing in terms of, like, the how you're advising folks and and whatnot. Um, and you mentioned a little bit, but I would like a list of some sort from you. <laughs> because I do think that the person listening is going to say, okay, this is all very good. What do I do? You know, like, if I were, um, let's say, someone living, you know, in a house, what kind of decisions would I make to make sure that what are the factors or like the elements that I really should be considering and then what can I do about that
1: yeah so um I have a few thoughts first I tell people to focus on the things that they can do that cost no money like opening up your windows even if you live in in an inner city um Indoor air is typically about two to five times more polluted um, than outdoor air. Um, There probably are some exceptions, um, but in general, for the vast, vast, vast majority of us, if we open up our windows, we will improve our, our air quality. Um, and that is something that we can all do for free. <laughs> you know, um, Leaving our shoes at the door is another thing that really, really will reduce um, the amount of environmental toxins that are in our homes. Um, because um, people think that the, the bottom of their shoes just has like dirt on it but the bottoms of our shoes contain um, pesticide residues um, it contain like coal tar sealants from driveways um, and sidewalks though, which is also really toxic um, heavy metals can be tracked in on shoes as well as bacteria plastics can be um, can be tracked in on shoes so just leaving your shoes at the door and going either barefoot or having indoor shoes or just wearing socks inside, that can really, really reduce the amount of environmental toxins inside your house and will also decrease the amount of time, the amount of time you have to spend cleaning your house, like you know, sweeping floors, mopping. Um, so, you know, that's always a benefit as well. So those are two things that everyone can do. Um, that, that cost no money, washing our hands. Our hands, um, we can't necessarily see it, um, but our hands collect dust on them. And household dust is laden with toxic chemicals, including heavy metals and microscopic um, pieces of plastic, uh, things like phthalates. Phthalates um, are a class of chemicals um, that are a pretty broad class of chemicals in many household products. They um, They are used in vinyl um, to make vinyl like soft and squishy. Vinyl is typically pretty hard and rigid, um, but when vinyl is turned into beach balls or into dolls or into um, window shades, those the um, phthalates are added to make them soft and flexible and those phthalates are not bound to the plastic they migrate over time and they accumulate in your house dust they end up on your hands and of course children have much more hand to mouth contact than adults do so they're exposed to those a lot more Um, and um, phthalates are also included in most fragrance products to make the fragrance sort of last longer and stick better Um, so any sort of fragrance products you have in your house you should think about the fact that they Um, might contain phthalates, and phthalates are associated with a whole wide range of uh, health effects, um, including reproductive, fertility, um, they have neurotoxicity, they have carcinogenic effects. Um, So that's just sort of one example of a type of environmental toxin that will typically accumulate in our house dust um, and get onto our hands. So washing our hands is a really great way um, to reduce exposure. You know, uh, I have a lot of followers and clients who sort of go, go really far with that washing hand thing and they can become obsessive about it and really wash their hands constantly. If your hands are cracked and peeling, like you are probably washing your hands way too much, but you want to wash your hands before you eat, wash them regularly Um, and especially little children's hands when they're, when there's a lot of hand to mouth contact. So that's another thing. It doesn't cost any money. Um, Also just, Um, a lot of people ask me, um, you know, what type of cleaning should I prioritize? Like if I have 20 minutes a day to like clean my house, like what, what type of cleaning is the best to do? And I tell people wet dusting and vacuuming, that's far more important than scrubbing your toilets or scrubbing your sinks. Um, You are you're not going to get sick by, you know, by a a toilet or sink that's not like, you know, (laughs) perfectly polished. Um, In terms of health protection, reducing dust in your home is the best way um, to clean, to protect your health. And and that is something that it does take time and, um, you know, labor, but it it, it doesn't um, cost you any money. The other thing that I really tell people is to use as few products as possible um, as, um, as infrequently as possible and as small of amount as possible, because everything that we put on our skin, our hair, on our body will end up inside our body, inside of our, you know, in our bloodstream. Um, and what you want to do is you, you know, everyone likes, you know, skincare products and, um, or a lot of people like skincare products, but everyone, um, and per- care products. But what you want to do is you want to think about like less is more. Um, you want to use enough products that you, that you feel like you are presenting to the world in the way that you want to present, um, and that you are feeling confident in your own skin. Um, but nobody needs a 20 step, you know, nighttime routine. That's, that's only going to harm your health. Um, so just using as few products, because a lot of people, you know, a lot of times, like, These really, um, these healthier, safer products, a lot of them do cost a lot of money. So what I tell people is, um, get them and then use them as little, as small amounts as possible. That's how you make the expensive products cost similar to your inexpensive products that, you know, that you get it at the supermarket. Um, and I talk to people a lot about, um, uh, food packaging, um, and reducing and thinking about, you know, when you're buying food, not just about the health properties of the food itself, but what it's packaged in. Um, and so the less exposure to plastics, the better. Um, I was at the, um, the airport a couple weeks ago and, um, like there was this whole, I should post about it today. Cause I, cause I took a picture of it. There was this whole basket of apples and they were all wrapped in like multiple layers of vinyl. Um, <laughs> and it's like think about think about that. Like or you know or next to that was like a a basket of oranges and bananas that were not wrapped in plastic. So in that moment, you might want to think about like, all right, I want to choose a a fruit that's healthy, but I can reduce my plastic exposure by, you know, by not getting the piece of fruit that's wrapped in, in vinyl. Um, so th- those are some of my pieces of advice. I, you know, what goes inside your body, what you consume, is really, really important. Uh, but we don't all have to eat "quote unquote" perfectly. I really don't like talking about like good foods and bad foods, but I talk to people a lot about food packaging and avoiding food that that comes in cans um, and wrapped in vinyl because that's probably like the most the most concerning. Um, I talk to people about, uh, about cookware. I, when I go to people's houses and I, um, and I look in their kitchens to try to help them reduce their exposure to toxins in their kitchen, I tell people almost everybody has a non-toxic kitchen in there. They just need to identify what, what items to either get rid of or use very, very sparingly. Because a lot of people have more pots than they need. (laughs) You know, it's like they'll have like, they'll have like six pots. Nobody actually really needs like six pots. So it's like, choose the three that are, um, that are made of much healthier materials, use those. And then like on Thanksgiving. Or on Christmas, when you need a few more pots, when you have a big crowd, then then grab your, you know, your non-ideal pots and pans because those, you know, infrequent exposures are not are most likely not going to have any impact on our health. So Mm -hmm. what I try to do is I really try to identify, help people identify what are the the healthy products that they have in their homes that they should use more of. Um, And what I try to make sure is that people remember who I am so that when it's time for them to replace big ticket items, like a couch or a mattress, they come to me first and they say, what should I be looking for? Because nobody has that, the, money or time to have me come over and then replace, you know, everything that isn't ideal. But what I try to sort of have them remember is these are the things that, that your furniture, your bedding, your mattresses, um, those are the items that you should be thinking um, about contacting me when it's time to make those big purchases.
0: I, thank you first. Cause that was a lot. And I so appreciate that the, And for clarification, when you say that the apples were wrapped in vinyl, do you mean like plastic wrap? Yep.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So plastic wrap and plastic wrap—it's not always vinyl. It can be um, um, polyethylene terephthalate. There, there's other types of plastic. But the hard thing is for a lot of these plastics. Um, we can't know just by looking at them. Like if you just look at plastic wrap, you can't know, is it vinyl, which is probably the worst option or another kind of plastic wrap, which is still not great, but not as bad as vinyl. Um, And then other kind of plastic, you can tell what type of plastic it is by looking at the bottom at the recycle sign. So the recycle sign is great because it often gives us a really good indication of what type of plastic it is. And if we have choices, like if we're getting yogurt or hummus, Um, or something where, where the different options have different choices for plastic, you know, we, we can use that as part of our decision-making for what brand to get.
0: I have to um, attribute my like relaxed state to being in your group because we were doing, um, we did a fried turkey this past Thanksgiving. And I mean, you have to buy, like, I forget how many, like 30 gallons of oil. And (laughs) so, I was looking around and they say, like, peanut oil is the best one. If you if I were to get 30 gallons of organic peanut oil, it would have cost me, I don't know, like $500 or something <laughs> yep. like that. And we were going through Costco and and we picked up the peanut oil there. And it didn't have the greatest – it had other ingredients in there, unfortunately. My husband's like, what are you doing? Like, I, like five years ago, ten years ago, you would not – have done this. And they said, you know what? Yeah, I wouldn't have. I was, you know, I think, you know, when there's this like pendulation, when we first learn about living healthier and like how there's so many things out there that are actually harmful. I, I went, you know, I went to the point where I was like, I need to do everything. I need to cut out everything. And like, um, I need to change everything. And then as I think I've, and maybe this is kind of the similar thing to like motherhood, like as I have been in this space for long enough, I'm like, okay, what can I release control over? And motherhood probably has a part to do with that because there isn't, I mean, we are, we, we have to be realistic as well. um, Because I want, we wanted the experience of having a fried turkey and we also needed to manage the budget for the meal as well. So that, you know, that's one example that I have of like how, we can balance that and, and the impact that you have had personally.
1: Oh, and that makes me so happy to hear. I mean, that like, I feel more satisfaction when I hear people tell me that I have helped them let go. than when they tell me, you know, I have helped, you know, sort of educate them about, you know, something being harmful, um, because I really, really want to help people let go. And I think when we let go of sort of the small stuff, we are really able to do a much better job at, um, paying attention to the big things that will really impact our family's health. Um, so it's not just because it's important to let go, but also, you know, like, you know, our brains can only focus on so much, Um, And when we, you know, when we're thinking about Thanksgiving and focusing on like getting the perfect oil for the fried turkey, we're not, we don't have the mental space to think about how to actually, you know, sort of have the healthiest Thanksgiving. Um, And it's like, if you're Kim Kardashian, then like, yeah, get that best oil. Like, you know what? You have the money, and you have other people shopping for you. You don't really have as much of an excuse for not getting the best oil. You can still have an excuse for not getting the best of other things, but like, you know, um, but most of us, we, we're we're limited in our time and our budget in so many ways um, that we 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 have to really sort of see the forest through the trees um and yeah so it's yeah figuring out sort of where and how to let go it's an evolution um (laughs) you know what and like I feel like I've gotten so much better at balance now than I was like five years ago or 10 years ago and probably in five years I'll look back to now and I'll be like oh I was still focusing not too much on the little things Um, but um, yeah, and we're still we're always learning about sort of new threats and new things to pay attention to. I feel like I talk so much about PFAS these days. Um, and for anyone who's sort of curious, PFAS um, is a class of chemicals that are added to um, to clothing, to cookware, to um, to rugs and carpets and furniture to make things resist. Stains resist um, water, resist, resist stickiness. Um, making clothes be water resistant or moisture wicking. Um, and that's a class of chemicals that I talk about all the time. I don't even remember it ever being mentioned um, in graduate school, which was 15 years ago. So we, we you know we're constantly learning about new health threats and new and sort of new ways that old health threats are, are impacting our health. So um, yeah so we have to sort of we we have to leave some mental some mental space to to focus on on new things um and I think a lot of us you know a year ago were you know wiping down our groceries with lysol, which is something that <laughs> that you or I probably never thought we would be doing, and we found ourselves doing it in the name of health protection and that is that's another thing that I tell people about is sometimes you know in the name of health promotion and health protection we are we are exposing ourselves knowingly um to some environmental toxins and i talked to people about that when when they asked me about fish consumption because eating fish um you know is a really healthy part of many people's diets um knowing that eating fish will expose you to you know to plastics and to heavy metals um and pretty much every kind of food has some sort of you know, um, health concern or environmental, environmental health concern. So, you know what The, the, we have to have the big picture of, you know, living life and trying our best to promote health and, and prevent disease and not just, not just removing our exposure to environmental toxins completely.
0: I think this is this conversation has been like a great reminder that we only really have control over how we are you know we don't have control over the materials that are used. I apologize if you can hear my children in the background uh, <laughs> um, we don't have control over the materials that are in like our phone, for instance, and we don't have control over so many other things. We can control how we manage that stress. we can control yeah. what we can, and we have to be able to let go and I really love that. I feel like that's a great closing message for everyone that, you know, it is a matter of letting go and, um, and, ma- yeah, and doing that with our, for our health.
1: Yeah, controlling what we can control. And, and that is why I talk a lot about, about, um, spending some mental energy for, for, um, you know, for the things that you can control and really prioritizing you know, your budget and your mental energy to some degree on environmental toxins, because there's so many exposures that we have that we can't control, that if we do prioritize to some extent, those that we do have control over, then our bodies will be able, will be more resilient um, in the face of the exposures that we can't control.
0: Thank you. I so appreciate you being here today. And And also uh, for your group that I found so much, you know, information in and your approach. Um, I also hope to meet you one day in person. Yes, I
1: know. (laughs) I feel like I know you, but it's true.
0: (laughs) It's funny how social media works, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) No, absolutely. Yeah. Um,
0: Could you share with the listener how they can find you, get in touch with you?
1: Yes. So probably the most informative way to find me is on social media. Um, I am most active and sort of most prolific, I would say on Facebook, um, where I have a business page called A Green Slate Consulting. And then there is a group that goes along with my um, business page called a green slate community. Um, and in on those two spaces, I um, post healthy living tips. I share media articles that are, you know, new and relevant about how we can be more informed about environmental toxins and reducing our exposure. Um, I answer people's questions. I try to provide support. I ask questions myself because I don't know everything and I like getting support and help from others as well um and i share like sales and promotions on a lot of the products that i recommend to make them more affordable for everybody um, i also have an instagram page which is also a green slate consulting um I, i'm not great at twitter my um my husband does most of my tweeting but i'm on there as well um and any uh, my website is agreenslate.com um, and anyone can uh, also reach out to me. My email address is hannah at agreenslate.com. Hannah, thank you for being here. It's just, thank again, you. so appreciate you. Oh, thank you. I love being here. I love talking about this stuff. And I'm happy to, uh, to connect with any of your, of your um, listeners who, would, um, who are interested in this, in this stuff as well.
0: Thank you for tuning in today. Living an inspired life is a worthy endeavor. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Be sure to subscribe in your preferred podcast player for future real conversations. And if any part of this episode made you think of a friend, let them know that they aren't alone in their journey and share all the things with them. If you'd like to stay in touch, hop on over to lisaforreal.com and sign up for my daily blogs or find me on Instagram at Reclaiming Motherhood. See you next time.